what is it that you like about being here? What appeals to you? Well, it's climbing a mountain and watching the sunrise over this forest that just rolls away from you. Or it's, you know, sitting on the beach and watching the light reflect off the water. I mean, artists are a little different. They're wired differently, and they have this ability to translate images in their head into something for the rest of us to see and enjoy. But at root, it's that connection with nature here that's that common thread. From NCPR, welcome to Northwards. People, ideas, and conversations from and about northern New York, Vermont, and beyond. I'm Mitch Tyke. Support for the Northwards podcast comes from St. Lawrence University, where a strong liberal arts tradition with real-world applications equips students to solve 21st century challenges. stlawu.edu. Laura Rice has worked at the Adirondack Experience in Blue Mountain Lake for 20 years, longer than the museum has been called the Adirondack Experience. In those two decades, tens of thousands of people have come through the doors and seen many of the unique and distinctive art and artifacts that tell the story of the region. But until now, visitors have never been able to see the museum's collection put into a context that truly connects the diverse objects and paintings. A brand new permanent exhibit seeks to open visitors' eyes and give them a new understanding about why the Adirondacks have been so important to so many people from different walks of life. The exhibit is called Artists and Inspiration in the Wild, and Laura Rice, who is the chief curator at the Adirondack Experience, met us there recently to share the story of the exhibit. In fact, we'll stop by one of the can't-miss objects in the exhibit in just a few minutes, but first, thanks so much for having us out to visit. Well, thank you for coming to have a chat. So let's tell the story of this exhibit. Uh, where was the genesis for it? And what was the initial vision that you were hoping to fill when, you know, when this was all new and, uh, and just a gleam in your eye? <laughs> so we, we started with the gleam um, many years ago now, it seems like. Um, so it's been in the works for a long time. We knew we had this incredible collection that we really wanted to be able to have out, at least with a, a core group of really great stuff all the time. And we really didn't have that before we renovated this building. The other thing that we really wanted to do, because most people think of us as a history museum, not an art museum, was to um, make the art maybe a little more accessible to people who weren't necessarily coming here to see <laughs> art. People who thought it was boring or maybe they were a little intimidated by it. You know, sometimes you feel like you have to know all this stuff about it in order to understand what you're looking at or to appreciate, which isn't true. It's like a different level of interpretation people believe there has to be. Yes, absolutely. And, and you know, we really wanted to engage with this idea of creativity and the fact that the environment, the landscape of the Adirondacks has just been this huge well of inspiration for creative people through millennia. Well, and so why was it that the that you were never able until this point to have a core group of artifacts and pieces that were always on display? We had a much smaller changing exhibition gallery. And, um, you know, I think we had a, a lot of fun with that. I think we did some great things. 
but you know if, if the Tates weren't out we'd hear well where where's the work by you know AF Tate how come I can't see this um, and we really felt that as as the collection was growing that it was just such a small space for what we had um, and you know these things are meant to be seen so we needed a, a real dedicated space to really pull it out this must be one of the inherent challenges of curators around the world is choosing which of these these precious artifacts uh, can be on display at any one time. It must be like choosing which is your favorite child. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> and, and, and actually, it was a little intimidating for us at the beginning because you look at this wonderful body of work that's like, okay, so what do we do with all of this? How do we make this something that's interesting and cohesive and digestible and engaging? You know, what's what's the story that we're going to tell? And we didn't want to just set things up in chronological order. Um, you know, the, the really interesting thing about this collection is that it's so diverse and you have this beautiful landscape painting from the 1870s next to a beautiful landscape painting from, uh, the, you know, the 2000 teens and you see all these wonderful things happening, the similarities and the differences and the continuity and the changes and even looking at, at things that are as different as a Mohawk fancy basket next to a 19th century oil painting has something to say and it's just these really interesting layers that you can get into. And so when when you start to plan for an exhibit like this, what does the planning process look like? Oh, geez. Well, it starts with staff. You know, we kind of noodle around for a little bit about several approaches that we can take. Um, in this case, we called in um, an advisory group of art history scholars to help us. We've also talked to members of the Mohawk community. Um, a lot of different people became involved. And so then you get into things like, what do we do with the building? And how much is this going to cost? And yada, yada, <laughs> yada. And it's really a cast of hundreds of people that wind up being involved from architects to engineers to exhibit designers, media designers designers in addition to staff. So well, it's a process. And, and, and so where does the visitor experience come in? Do you have to do you have to envision this from, you know, here's what I imagine uh, my visitors are going to think about when they walk in the door and this is what I want them to, to think about as they come out the other side? Yeah, we, um, we have an interpretation department and their specialty is really um, um, sort of honing in on that visitor experience and, and so we do testing. There's testing as we're developing the concept, there's prototype testing, and then there's uh, what we call uh, sort of the final testing that's going on right now and that's getting feedback from members of the public, sometimes even our own families, <laughs> you know, people who are, are totally unfamiliar with the collection and with what we're trying to do and that's hugely helpful. In some ways it's it's finding people, it sounds like it's finding people who can see the trees for the forest. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> because as curators, you know, you become so immersed in all of this, you lose sight of what's common knowledge and what isn't and what makes sense and what doesn't. So even after we had labels written, we gave them to people that didn't know anything about the project to make sure that they made sense. So as you took this from an idea to its fruition and decided again against organizing it all in chronological order. Talk about the way that it ended up becoming organized because that's really one of the unique aspects of this exhibit. 
Yeah, we, we thought about, um, so light, water, forest, and mountains are kind of the classical art historian elements of the landscape, but it's also the way that a lot of people talk about being in the Adirondacks. You know, what is it that you like about being here? What appeals to you? Well, it's climbing a mountain and watching the sunrise over this forest that just rolls away from you, or it's, you know, sitting on the beach and watching the light reflect off the water. Um, so it sort of comes down to that same language, and we wanted people to be able to connect their own experience with what these artists were doing and thinking. I mean, artists are a little different, they're wired differently, and they have this ability to translate images in their head into something for the rest of us to see and enjoy, but at root, it's that connection with nature here that's that common thread. In doing that, I, I gather people have different expectations for a museum experience today than they did 20 and 30 years ago. What was the challenge in organizing this, not only in those four general areas, but in such a way that people can have that interactive experience that they expect from a museum today? Well, we recognized early on that um, First of all, art is something that appeals to kids. I mean, you know, every kid likes to color. Every kid's into creativity. We lose that, I think, a lot of us as we grow up. But we also know from a practical standpoint, if there's nothing for the kids to do, the families are not gonna come in or they're not gonna spend as much time in the gallery as they would otherwise. And the other thing is that art is such a tactile process. You know, when you're talking about creativity, it's about putting your hands on clay or, you know, even paint on canvas has a very tactile aspect to it. So we wanted to draw on that. We wanted to give people a chance to exercise a little of their own creativity. Um, and appeal to families and people of all ages. Talk about how this exhibit fits into everything that you have done through your career. How does it okay. how does it stack up as a <laughs> as a challenge compared to the the various other things that you've worked on? Well, I have a background more as a history curator. I'm not an art historian, but I was the lead on content for this, which was an interesting challenge. And I think maybe in some cases I've come at this in a slightly different way than a trained um, art historian would. Um, so that was kind of a challenge for me, but it was also one of the most rewarding because I think for me, what makes art interesting is the context in which it was created. What was going on in that painter's life when he created this landscape? You know, who was he selling to? Who was he trying to satisfy when he was painting this thing? Um, so there's so much associated with that, so many really rich stories about who these artists were and the world in which they were working that um, I had a great time. It was a great project to work on. Does the artist in you have to come out? I mean, I, I think about the the parallel here that the, the artist might start something with a story in his mind or her mind and have this blank canvas in front of them. And you had this blank building to start with. Is there something of an artist in, in, in being an effective curator? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, it, it's a very creative process, laying things out, which work goes where and what do you put this next to and how do those stories relate and then just the act of writing the stories. I mean, it's a very creative thing to do. You're basically telling a story 
And um, so I guess you could call that creative writing, based in <laughs> fact, but you know, still creative writing. I, was, was there a point in this? And, and as you say, there were lots of people that had to work together to, to bring this entire exhibit to fruition. But was there a point in the process where the thing that is a few doors from us right now came into your mind and looked the way it does today? Or, or does that not happen until, you know, the last painting is on the wall? Um, in some ways it does, and in some ways it doesn't. Um, you know, we, we work now with these fancy computer right. programs where you literally can see what a wall right. is going to look like, but it's not really until everything is in there that you really can see the work. You know, you look at them in storage and it's fluorescent lighting and it's terrible, and uh, but you get them out and suddenly these things have a life that you didn't necessarily see while you were working on the project. So it's a, it was a little of both. How important is this exhibit in the history of the ADKX? I mean, this is a museum that has been around for a long time. You know, how would you, I guess, how would you put the, the, this, this new experience in context? I think it is important for us. I think it's a slightly new way of looking at this collection. Um, it's been well cared for and well curated over the years. Um, you know, Caroline Welsh, a past curator, did an amazing job in developing this collection. Um, but I think what's really exciting is just being able to present it in a new light and to plan on presenting things in new lights. I mean, the great thing about this exhibit is that we can move things around. We're going to be introducing new material over and over again so it's a permanent exhibit but it's not static and um, yeah I, I think that's that's why it's so important there's also if I remember correctly there's also a workshop that uh, you're letting people uh, take advantage of yes and this was really fun so we wanted a space where people could sit down and get their creative juices flowing and actually make something, make something to take home. Uh, gives us a space where we can have workshops, we can have artists come and do demonstrations. Um, you can make a mess in there and it won't make any <laughs> difference. Um, Just not something you can always say at a museum. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, but So we worked with Barney Bellinger, who's um, an Adirondack rustic maker and now a sculptor and photographer. He's just this amazingly creative person. and. Uh, after visiting his studio several times, we thought, this is what we need because it's so inspiring to be in an artist's studio and see all these inspiring things. And so we worked with him and he brought some of the stuff from his stockpile of raw materials and helped us decorate. And uh, yeah, it's a great space. The, the name of the exhibit is Artists and Inspirations in the Wild. Inspiration seems to be maybe the overlooked word that uh, that that people might not think of when they get here. Oh yeah, definitely. And it's something that we all have. It's that spark, whatever it is, and we all express it in very different ways, which is also one of the neat things about having the art like this. All of it's so different and it speaks to the individuality of the personality behind it. You've been working on this for how many years? Oh, geez. <laughs> when did we start this? We started out with an exhibition master plan. I kind of looked right. at the whole campus, and that was back in 2013, 2014. So that's when we started to think about it. Um, this project probably got underway, I'd say, 2018 or so. Interrupted a bit by the, by the pandemic, but yeah. 
you know, I've talked to talked to writers about this and, and filmmakers about this and musicians about this, like the amount of work that goes into it. Is there a letdown after it's open and the people are there and it becomes routine? Yeah, it was. I mean, I, I know I got back to my office after it was all over and I kind of stared at my desk and went, OK, now what? <laughs> you know, I mean, I had plenty, but it was just getting out of that sense of rhythm or that mode, you know, and, and moving on to other things. And sometimes it's a little sad, you know, because it's such a great project. And, but but if nothing else, you can always walk out there and watch people enjoy it. Yes. Yes, and that part's been really gratifying. We've been really, really pleased. Well, let's have a look at a couple of, uh, of artifacts and enjoy it for ourselves. That would be great. So we are now in the Forest Gallery, and we're standing in front of an artifact which you've told me is one of your favorite pieces in this collection. Yes, this is a ceramic piece by an artist named Kathleen Spain. It's called a tree pot. So it could potentially function as a teapot. It does have a spout and a, and a lid, but it looks like a decaying white birch log with, with the fungus growing on the side and the cracks and the seams and the peeling bark. And it just looks so real. You would never know. I was just was about ceramic. to use those exact words that, yes. that this is... This is a dead ringer for wood. Yes. Well, she, she became really fascinated with the whole life cycle of a tree, and this is what she's kind of recorded in her work. And I, I noticed, you know, she's an artist from Tucson, Arizona, and I, I think one of the things that strikes me is, while these are all artworks and artifacts that are connected to the Adirondacks, the people that produce them are from all over and it's remarkable just to, to appreciate how many artists out there find the Adirondacks inspiring. Oh, the Adirondacks have always been a mecca for artists. And yes, most of the artists represented here, certainly from the 19th century, were not from here. And these paintings that they created, for instance, did not come here. They did not live in the Adirondacks. They were sold to wealthy industrialists and people living in urban areas. Um, so when they came into the museum or into private collections in the Adirondacks, that was really the first time that they were displayed here. So this was a lot of this was intended for an audience well beyond the blue line. So as we stand here in the forest gallery and, and look around at the exhibit and the people who are here experiencing it for themselves, what what makes you the most excited or satisfied about about this this new exhibit? Just to see people spend so much time in here and really look at things and become engaged with what they're seeing and what they're able to do in here with the interactives and you know that part's really gratifying of course as a curator you always want to see that but with the art in particular I think we've achieved we've achieved that goal. Laura Rice congratulations and thanks so much. Well, thank you very much. Laura Rice is chief curator at the Adirondack Experience in Blue Mountain Lake. She spoke with us on site at the museum's major new exhibits, Artists and Inspiration in the Wild, which opened earlier this month. You can see photos and find links to more information at ncpr.org northwards. 
Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Northwards. I'm Mitch Tyke. I hope you enjoyed our interview, and you can catch new content every Friday right here or wherever you get your podcasts. Find out more about Northwards and NCPR on our mobile app or at our website, ncpr.org. And while you're there, make a donation to support everything you hear on North Country Public Radio. Northwards is an NCPR podcast production. The show is written, edited, and produced by Mitch Tyke with digital production supervision by me, Ethan Shanty. Caitlin Kelly handles our social media, Bill Hanel is our digital director, and Doyle Dean is our production manager. Music is by the Wickmore Jazz Trio of Plattsburgh. To support this show and find more podcasts, visit ncpr.org. This is NCPR, North Country Public Radio.